appreciate it. Absolutely. Thanks for yeah. yeah, absolutely. All right, so here we go. The Starving Artist is brought to you by Mental Ghosts. Mental Ghosts is not just a brand, but a healthy family that aims to embrace people's inner ghosts. Mental Ghosts helps people come together to share their struggles with mental health and manage their problems. It is for people who love shirts, but more importantly, for people who suffer from mental illnesses such as PTSD. Visit mentalghosts.com. Use promo code Casey Ryan Music at checkout for 25% off your order. Again, that's mentalghosts.com. Promo code Casey Ryan Music at checkout for 20% off your order. All right. Jacob Maxwell, what's up, man? How are you? I'm doing great, man. How are you? I'm great. How's, uh, how's everything up in Idaho? Uh, it is random. We had a crazy windstorm a week ago. Yeah, I saw that. Yeah, like a quarter of the cities and like, destruction like homes like completely destroyed power outages for like a week it was insane damn dude that's crazy literally like sunny and like 40 something it's like a week ago it was 20 degrees out it's always did crazy. uh did anything happen like to your guys's place or anything or everything good we lost power for like five days um oh we, shit <laughs> yeah we that's crazy with my sister for about a week okay just waited, but yeah, we were lucky to not be in any damage, but we were a couple of houses away from one of the houses that had a tree just fall right in the center of the roof. Damn dude. That's yeah. It's, it's interesting. There's been a couple of those up where we live. So I don't know, maybe a reoccurring thing happened happening, but, um, well, I'm um, luckily, uh, luckily that you're uh, safe and everything and things are good. Um, I want to start off by saying maybe just, uh, introduce yourself, maybe tell people like who you are and yeah. you know a little bit about your story and everything. So totally. Yeah, so um, I'm 22 years old, and I'm a local musician in Coeur d'Alene. Um, a couple, about a year and a half ago, I had a privilege of being on season 16 of The Voice and uh, made it through the top 24 and had an awesome experience meeting new people and learning from John Legend and having a super great step forward in music. Um, before then, I just was raised in a homeschool family and picked up the guitar when I was a kid and... Um, I was born with this strange problem where I am incapable of catching a football or running quickly or doing anything athletic. And so when I <laughs> grabbed a guitar, it seemed to be the one thing that stuck. And so, yeah, I, um, I work right now um, at a coffee shop part-time in my church and um, kind of waiting for COVID to let up before I can kind of do gigs and kind of yeah. keep forward. But in the meantime, um, I'm newly married and still playing music and writing music as much as I can at home until things yeah. clear up a little bit. Yeah, that's beautiful, man. Um, yeah, so, you know, I, I've met you a couple of times um, over the past couple of years, whatever, and uh, haven't really gotten a chance to like get to know you or talk to you. So I figured this would be a good chance to do that. And also, you know, not only for your supporters who supported you on The Voice and your local fans, but I think it'd be a good conversation just to have for people yeah. struggling right now, you know, especially us as artists. I mean, I'm in Arizona. I've been playing a couple of shows like here and there, but nothing like, you know, nothing like it was before. Um, so uh, I want to, so let's uh, first start off by talking about your experience on The Voice. So, I mean, walk us through the progression of like, you know, how you got signed up, the process of it, and uh, maybe shed some light on your perception of the show and uh, sh just shows like that in general. And, um, you know, now that you've been a part of a show and so deeply embedded in it, you know, how has your perception changed of shows like that? And, you know, maybe just shed some light on the process that you had. Absolutely. Um, yeah, it was, it was different than I thought. Um, in good ways and bad. I mean, the like nitty gritty details of how they specifically had us go throughout the process was this big NDA thing, but they're mm -hmm. a very open show um, pretty much with everything else. So 
when I was uh, 18, um, my girlfriend at the time was pushing me to just send a video and you can just go online and submit a video and, you know, say your name and play some covers. Mm-hmm. So I did that a long, long time ago. The whole process to get on the show actually takes a super long time. There's yeah. a bunch of in between auditions and rounds. So the whole process of sending a video to even getting a shot to audition on the show was a year. Um, and so I sent a video back in like October of 2017 and then, uh, in between just responses from them of like, cool, send a couple more. Okay, cool. If you want, here's a local private audition. You can, if you can make it down, there's another round for you that you can take. And is that one in, that's in Burbank, right? That one was when we were on the show, we got to say, Oh, gotcha. Okay. I wasn't they, sure. They host like these private auditions all over the States. Yeah. Cause I had, I had one for that same thing. It was in Burbank. But yeah, I wasn't sure if it was the same thing as you did, but yeah, that's one of the future steps. And so through the process, I was kind of just driving back from other auditions to back home or sending more videos. Um, Once I finally got on the show, um, yeah, the whole process of like the TV show world is honestly, it was really fun, but you kind of have to have like an identity of who you are before that. Like Mm -hmm. you can kind of get, I've said this before. Yep. Yep. Yeah. I mean, for me, I I grew up in a Christian home. And so there's a whole idea of like your identity in Jesus. And um, even with that, it was overwhelming to be around a lot of weird stuff. I mean, on one hand, you're having the time of your life meeting like a hundred musicians and all of you understand each other in a different way that some of your friends back home don't. You can, I mean, we'd be singing and hanging out and joining in hotel rooms pre-COVID. So there's like 20 of us crammed in this room, goofing off and you make it past around. Everyone's supporting each other. Mm-hmm. There, weren't, there wasn't a lot of like struggle and strife between people. Like it was, we were really like one big family hoping the best for each other. Um, but at the same time, like Hollywood is so dark and you're kind of in this bubble because they keep you in a hotel and they let you, you know, they drive you back and forth from Universal Studios and back and vocal lessons and wardrobe. And you're limited on just, you can't like drive around anywhere you want in LA and get in trouble or get lost. So there's some rules to that, which all made sense. But I'm also surrounded by a ton of darkness in that same area because some of these people are broken and um, that setting was really good for them or that setting was like even worse for like their health. So I, I saw a lot of people like going down like bad paths and some people growing from it. Was it, was it something like, now that they're getting a certain le- level of notoriety and they may have a tendency toward introversion that, you know, getting all this exposure and this excitement built around them kind of, did it seem like they were becoming egotistical or, or it was, it was different with everybody. I mean, there's definitely a few people where, you know, their shit didn't stink. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like I'm on the voice and you can see it kind of get in their head. Like that competitive edge almost like a, like they try to act like they're, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. I mean, other than, a couple of those types of people. Um, some of it's just people who had a really hard time with the pressure. Um, you know, at some point when we made it through a round or two, we're, we're kind of all joining together, reading hate comments or love comments on how much people don't like us or, or do like us. And it's like, it's so much emotional warfare. You're just kind of like going. Interesting. Yeah. I'm from Coeur d'Alene. Like I, in my head, I'm homeschooler who likes music. And somehow I got on this show and, you know, my video has a couple million views. And so there's just comments upon comments of things. And I don't know, it's just, yeah. I mean, if I'm getting like really blunt with it, there's people who are, you know, their media and 
messages and images that people send them who are obsessed with them, it can become so quickly inappropriate and graphic. And I was kind of lucky to try to avoid some of that. I mean, I wasn't, I'm now I'm married, but at the time she was just my girlfriend and there's so much temptation. I mean, there's that. Yeah, I can imagine. You're like a temporary celebrity on this show. And yeah. in that time, they want you to believe that you're famous and want you to believe that you're a big deal to show, you know, better stage presence, but mm-hmm. it can kind of take you down a bad path. if you're not careful. That's a, I'm really glad. I, I really loved everything you said, man. And, and I think especially for artists pursuing something, whether, you know, you, you happen to get on this show that is deeply embedded in like entertainment culture, which was, I'm sure obviously, we'll, and we'll get into that more in a sec, but like, I I've even struggled. Like when I, for example, when I got signed, um, I'm no longer with the the label, but when I got signed, I had this, I had this, this idea in my head that, oh, this is it. I made it. And then like you, I moved down to California and, you know, come to find out like all of these things that I was excited about are the very same things that I should have been cautious of. And, um, again, like being on a stage, being on a stage as big as you were, I can imagine that even, even for you, like, just like what you said, the temptation to, live in those like shadow archetypes of yourself and like and not really act in ways that you consider to be to your own values. Um, can you maybe shed some light on that too? Cause I'm curious, you know, like right before you and I are about to play a local show or wherever it is, I mean, like there's a certain level of excitement. There's like a little bit of nervousness, but there's more so excitement because it's, you know, either people that we love and care about that are there, or if it's just some random show in some other place, you're, you're more excited about it because it's not necessarily so much pressure. So I'm curious to ask you, I mean, how did you manage the pressure of that stage? I mean, knowing that you're about to like go on stage, your cues up, the lights are up, it's live on television. You're, you're hanging out with these celebrity legend musicians, musicians. I mean, what was that like and how did you manage that? Honestly, for me personally, everyone has a different mechanism and coping mechanism. Um, I just breathed really carefully if I'm mm-hmm. being like technical with it. Other than that, I had to trust that I was there for a reason and that it wasn't a mistake. And I had to just trust in that timing. Um, you know, you go through this really long process right before you actually get to audition on the, on the actual show. Um, for that first one, they pre-tape it. And so it's not going to be live, but there's still hundreds of people. All the celebrity coaches are in their chair. And uh, I'm waiting behind this door. And I'm next. And uh, people are chattering. The audience is on break. And then you hear this kind of intercom go you know, quiet on set and everything just goes completely quiet. And I'm just sitting there and I've never felt my heart beat harder. Yeah. I can, uh, that's crazy, man. Yeah. And, um, and they just said, you know, in three, two, and then the doors just open and it's quiet. And I walk up and I'm literally like, my knees are shaking. I feel like I can't breathe. But in that moment you have to focus. And I just went, okay, well mm-hmm. I'm here right now. And I look in between their chairs there's a 90 seconds and you have a minute and a half and everything flashed back of the last year. All of that was for 90 seconds to get a shot, to get a chair to turn. And um, for that, it was just how to push through. And sometimes in that moment, you can't explain it. You just do it Mm -hmm. with my final performance. um, I had like an anxiety attack right then and there um, as it was going live at this point, it is real time live. And um, wow it was horrifying. I stood up, I was in this glittery tuxedo and it's (laughs) and you have seven seconds to get on the stage on your mark. And then it goes. And, uh, I'm feeling my heart pound. I can't catch my breath. 
and I just started singing and the first two lines, my head is just going, I don't know what I'm going to do. I think I'm going to pass out. I think I'm going to pass out. I can't breathe. And I just had to try to disconnect for a minute. And with each line, I took a deep breath and slowly sang the, you know, each time I'd have a line, that's kind of a slow exhale. Um, I honestly have no idea what happened after that. Like it got a little blurry. Um, I sang through the song, I finished it. And, um, the pressure is just unreal. And you just, in that moment, you have to trust these situations are moments that I was supposed to be in for the time. I'm meant to be there. Mm -hmm. There's a reason I'm there. And, um, and to breathe slowly. Like if you, if you let your heartbeat kind of match with how quickly you're breathing in and out, I think it'll make it worse. Yeah. You have to try to detach from it and be like, okay, I'm just going to sing a song. Like one thing that helps is even though there's a camera on you, you just have to focus on the room you're in. If I started thinking about America and you know millions watching i'm gonna freak out so you just mm -hmm. go all right right now looking at these four people in chairs it's like 100 or two people who are here right now all right i'm just gonna sing to them and then before you know it you know your performance is always at least one to two minutes and it's like i got to i can do this i can push through you which know? probably which probably as it's happening probably seems a lot longer or like time is kind of going slow i have about yeah. 30 minutes up there <laughs> yeah that's great yeah and it's interesting. I really like how you said about the breathing techniques, because I think just for any sort of anxiety, whether it be, you know, performance anxiety or just social anxiety, whatever it is, the simple act of it's crazy how we can literally change the physiology of how our body responds to stressful situations just by focusing on your breath. So did you, um, is that something that, is that something you've always been interested in is uh, breath work like that or like to calm your nerves? Or I mean, is this something that you just kind of had to foster in the moment when it happened? With that timing on the show, it was spur of the moment. I have to just breathe slowly. Um, shortly after the show, I kind of, we can go into this too. I went through a really difficult time of uh, depression and anxiety after the show ended. And I came home with a whole city expecting some sort of next move. Um, mm -hmm. At that point, I never really struggled with anxiety attacks or panic attacks. And I had no idea what was going on. And that's when I started looking into certain things that help you calm down with your breathing. Um, yeah, I mean, I started to kind of research it more after mm -hmm. the process. And Interesting. Back, I was glad to be like, oh, there's something subconscious in everybody that knows to breathe slowly, but to actually look into it and look at special techniques and just little routines, it's super helpful as I've kind of combated that anxiety in the last couple of years. Interesting. Yeah, that's it's uh, you brought up something that I was actually going to ask you about next. Um, so, you know, you're at, you're at the height of your career in this, uh, on The Voice, and, you know, things are going well, and you're wearing fucking glittery tuxedos and everything. Uh, you know, you're hanging out with John Legend and, and all that stuff. So yeah. you're, you're probably thinking, like, obviously, like, you know, does this seem real? Is it realistic? And, and it's crazy that, you know, you're from, you're from Coeur d'Alene, Idaho, and you managed to get to this point. And obviously, deserving, rightfully so, you're an extremely talented musician. Um, so let's, I mean, if you'd like to, and if you're willing, I'd like to be able to talk to you about, you know, those feelings that you had when it was over. So did you struggle with, you know, when it was over, did you struggle with these subconscious beliefs of like, Oh, that was it. That was like the best I'm going to get. Or now that it's over, what do I do? And how have you kind of shifted your focus from, you know, being on a stage like that into just in a more like, I guess for lack of a better term, just a humble mindset and pursuing stuff outside of the voice. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm happy to share. Cause I think a lot of people can go through the same thing. Um, I think a big part of all this, in life and with career choices, whether it's music or something else you're passionate about, you have to have perspective and you have to have identity in, in something different than a career, even if it means everything to you. Mm -hmm. uh, in that time, 
I felt like I was going to be the special one that wasn't phased by Hollywood, wasn't phased by fans reaching for your hands and DMing you. I thought, you know, I know who I am, you know, blah, blah, blah. There's no way I'm going to be tempted with girls or anything. And, um, and afterwards, it's almost every single person, I mean, at least on my season that I can speak on behalf of, um, struggled with this identity crisis because being on the show is like living in a bubble and everyone back in Coeur d'Alene was pretty much non-existent in my life because I'm just literally going 100 miles an hour seven days a week until I get sent home. So coming home, the first, I remember I, I, just, I, I just cried because I, I wasn't so sad that I wasn't still on the show. I was sad to leave a whole new family that I made on the show. And only that group will really understand what we went through um, with that specific season of our lives. And mm -hmm. other than other people who've been on these TV shows can at least relate that group of people, you know, knows what I went through and I know what they went through and you kind of just say goodbye to some of them forever. So I'm like really emotional I'm coming home. It's really bittersweet. You miss home, miss family, but you're like, am I ever going to see these people again? Um, and then Coeur as you know, is very small and I'm getting followed in grocery stores. People are coming up to me, recording me, taking photos of me, asking for my autograph. Really? Yeah, it was weird because in my- so that, that's a shock in itself, you yeah, know? Absolutely, it's just, mm. it's weird. And that's fun, you know, you're like, cool, you know, like support, like people are happy for me. They think I'm famous, that's kind of fun. <laughs> yeah. You know, at the end of the day, it felt like now my home wasn't the same. After a few weeks, like maybe a month in, now I almost didn't feel like I actually could return to normal. And then just like a new person because people aren't really treating me the same anymore. Even some of my friends that weren't like my best friends, but friends were treating me differently. And some people were like, you've changed, man, your media, you're all acting like, you know, you're like acting like you have all these fans. It just doesn't feel like you. And I'm like, what? No, I mean, it's just, you never know how people are going to react to when instead of, yeah. And that's, what's funny too, is like, instead of like, what a, a real friend would hopefully do and try to be empathetic of your situation. Like, Hey man, like, what are you going through? They just, I think that's probably most likely, I mean, I'm, I don't know your friends and I don't want to speak for them or anything, but it's probably bred out of some degree of envy or jealousy that you reached a certain level of, of fame in your own way. Sure. So I think in a few cases of them, I can definitely agree with that. And I always had my, my closest friends, which always understood and were there for me. Um, but there's still this isolation of no one really knows what you went through. You know, no one was really there every day in a hotel when you're like, not sure if you're going to make it and the pressure and all that stuff. And so after a while, um, the excitement of the people following me and taking photos felt weird and isolating. But at the same time, as the last year and a half has gone by, it's also dwindled to a degree where I do feel much more normal again. But mm -hmm. I felt like I had to meet everyone's expectation that right after the voice is my what whatever it may be your signing your next album your tour you know whatever it is there is something that i should do next to keep this this pace going and um you know sometimes you just can't do that you know that i came home in may of 2019 and that summer and fall was awesome i went to new york i went to georgia i played gigs like every week all through the fall and, um, and then when winter comes in Coeur d'Alene, it's not as easy to find gigs, which is normal. Dead. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I wasn't like worried about that. I'm like, yeah, oh, that's normal. Everyone is kind of like lessening their gigs. And, um, and then new year came and I'm still kind of struggling with this. Like I got to do something. 
in the meantime, I don't know, I was being short with my family. I was overwhelmed. Like every day I started experiencing these little anxiety attacks because all that I was thinking about was myself and um, what I had to meet and people's standards and, and what they may have been hoping for me. And, and then there's just insecurity, you know, you lost a show. Am I horrible? Do I suck? Because when you're getting on the show, this is boost of confidence. And you're like, wow, I'm so humbled that people think I'm good. And you should just be grateful. But then when you get off, these lies come into your head of like, oh, maybe I wasn't that good. Like you don't even want to give credit to the fact that you made it somewhere. Mm-hmm. I completely disregard that I even accomplished that. And then the next thing that mattered was, oh man, I bet I wasn't good enough to go to the top 13. I lost at this one. And then you're just like defeating yourself and you're looking at your other friends that make it further in the show. And you're like, oh, like, you know, they're, how do they get that far? Well, you start becoming rude and you start comparing and it's ugly. And so the thing that brought me back um, in my life was my family, my closest friends, time and God, because my identity isn't in music, but I started to believe that my whole identity was in music. Mm-hmm. And if you put so much of yourself into something like that, you're going to miss the point of how special it is. Music is meant to be a gift and to receive it and to share it and to, to listen to it, you know, but if your whole thing is like, I'm Jacob, the musician, well, if your voice goes away or, you know, something happens where you can't be that guy, like you're going to feel like you can't be you anymore. Mm-hmm. But I wanted to start treating music like something that I loved and something that I was grateful to do. But if it ever went away, I'd know that I'm going to be okay because that's not who I am. And it took me a long time to really break out of that mindset because I spent, you know, a year back and forth being told by these Hollywood people that, you know, you're this guy now, you know, this is who you are. This is who your new fans think you are. This is what- well, that's what sells, you know, that's, that's what they deem is what, and that's the craziest thing to me. And, and it's nothing against that show. Like I'm obviously like extremely happy for you to have done that. And I'm sure that you feel well, the same. The show still, you know, yeah, exa- exactly. Like, I mean, I, I don't really, I don't have even have TV, so I don't watch it, but like, I, I, I like the idea that people have that talented musicians get a platform and get some recognition for what they deserve. Now, just like what you said, the caveat to that is, and I've, ex- I've experienced this in a very small degree, not nearly to the stage that the, you have as, as, as far as like millions of people watching what I do for, for a duration of time. But I, I understand what you mean though about having your identity wrapped up in, in pursuing music because honestly the music industry as a whole, like just the business side of it is extremely egoic, extremely selfish and it like tells you that you basically have to just brand yourself out of some some desire to to simply for the notion of just getting people to recognize you as that person. Yes. And and I, I've noticed it within myself over the last like six years, you know, even when I've gotten fortunate enough to play in other countries, you know, like I've only signed like eight autographs in my life. But even doing that, like I'm like, oh, I'm the shit, <laughs> you know? And then like, and then you catch yourself and you're like, wait, what was that? Like what was that thought that just came into my head that said like I'm I'm this person because I'm not, you know? And who you are at your core, I, I mean, for you, it's religion. For me, it's like how I feel about the world and like my place in it and like how good I can, when I go to sleep at night, if I'm not being kept up by the actions that I did throughout the day, then that's like a successful day to me and that's success in general. Yeah, So that's great. Yeah, I was, so along with this, I mean, I you kind of already touched on a little bit, but like um, I, I've always thought of you as, and, and from what I've seen from you and everything that I've seen you in, you've always struck me as a person who's very humble, you know, so, so 
that, that humility, that kindness, that honesty, how have you, you know, managed to remain so kind and humble in the, especially after the show, especially after getting the attention you, that you got. And, you know, so outside of all those things, like what, you know, and you can obviously touch on religion if you'd like to, but you know, what kind of keeps you grounded? Have, have you always felt that need to kind of keep yourself in check or was it something that's kind of come over time? Yeah, I think it's a part of um, someone's own upbringing and a mix of that kind of place you go to, you know, when you're like a teenager and you start to realize who you want to be. And then that's like the new journey of like, okay, I'm going to be this person. Like some Mm -hmm. people know when they're like nine and they're like, I'm going to be this. And that's the whole life. Like I'd step until I was like 16 or 17. I didn't really know what I wanted to do um, or who I wanted to be. But um, there came a point where I don't remember exactly when, but something kind of struck open in me with making connections with people. Um, it sounds kind of cheesy to say this. No, not at all, man. There is a, there was something that came out of me where I realized I want to love people and I want to get to know people. I think part of it was being homeschooled. You either come out kind of weird and antisocial and the stereotypical weird homeschooler kid. Yeah. Where you kind of come out of it like desiring community and desiring um, communication with people. And so I really like decide, I remember having these thoughts of like, I just want to be, I want to be humble. I want to be kind. I want to be generous. I want to use my platform. If I get one, I love music. And I kind of just, I don't know, like repetition, like you want to keep speaking those things into your life. So, you know, for me and with, with my belief, it's like a really good thing to just love people. That's like the main thing is like to love God, love your neighbor, love them as yourself. And so that, I mean, I fail at that every day, but there comes these moments where you have these opportunities. I think one thing that kept me a little more humble was um, I had had good parents just to tell me, you know, there's wonderful opportunities that we're going to get. And sometimes those opportunities are taken away and it's how you act in those opportunities that define you. And just Mm -hmm. trying to remember those things, you know, like I'm getting on this show and I'll definitely keep some privacy on people's names, but there was a certain phase where there was a night where like three or four different people came to me because they wanted to open up about something in their life that was really really dark and some of it was a past of suicidal tendencies and some of it was sexual abuse and some of it was loneliness but for whatever reason my desire to have relationships seemed to really like connect to them and they would say that they felt like they could talk to me or they felt comfortable and that was in that moment, almost more important to me than the show in those moments, because I was actually making an impact and they were impacting me. And I was building these really close relationships with people. Um, and the show was a bonus, um, kind of back to like the identity thing is like, okay, like being on the voice is a really cool opportunity. It was really fun. And everyone on staff and everything, everybody was awesome. Like it was, it was a cool group, but, um, I found a little more life coming out of my relationships and that's what made singing with them and rooting for them in their next round and them rooting for me all that more special. Um, And so kind of with the whole perspective theme with like keeping humble is like remembering my relationships, remembering what kind of person I still want to be. But that is a total roller coaster because I'm still, Mm -hmm. still struggle with a lot of arrogance when I came home, a lot of stubbornness. And I had to remind myself through these relationships and these memories that I made um, 
that were humbling and in a good way, you know, like, absolutely. I was, I wasn't in vain because I lost. I, it wasn't in vain because I did or didn't do this. Like there are still these wonderful things I can still do. And then just like really awesome people in my life to remind me who I am and, and what great opportunity that was and how that's not the end when mm-hmm. it kind of feels like it right in the moment. Absolutely. It's uh it's extremely admirable that you have been able to foster that at such, I mean, you're not like, I'm not like, I'm 31. So, I mean, it seems like 22 is like a, you know, a long ways away from me. But, um, when I was 22, I wasn't nearly anywhere near you. Like like just hearing you talk about, like, you seem very self-aware and, um, I know that that doesn't come easy and it comes through a lot of immense amounts of introspection. I, I really like also what you said about, you know, fostering relationships being one of the most important things that people can do. Yeah. And I think that that, it's taken me a little longer in my life to realize that same thing. And I think I realized it like a few years ago for the first time. I've, I've, I've kind of always been more of an introvert. Like I can be in front of people, but being around them is a whole different thing. Like I have no problem going and playing a show, but then I, for me to like hang out afterwards and socialize, it's harder for me. Um, but I, I've realized, especially, you know, obviously since the pandemic, the same thing that the most important thing I think that human beings can do is foster a community where like everybody is loyal to each other. Everybody's honest with each other and having that vulnerability to be able to be that, not only be there for somebody, but have the vulnerability to open up to people is extremely challenging, but it's the reward at the end of it is, is worth it. So that's, it's really cool that you, that you were able to do that, not only for people that you were on the show with, but just, I'm sure your friends and your family as well. Totally. I appreciate you so, saying that. I mean, of course, man, I've been really lucky to be around good people. You know, it's nothing yeah. that kind of mustered out of nothing. You know, I, I've yeah. examples and, I've done my best to listen. You know, that's a big thing for me in the last few years. Huge. Yeah. My life is um, how often I used to just talk and, uh, and how important it is to listen. And I remember. Dude, it's, yeah. Yeah. That, that is so, yeah, that, that is such an important distinction to make. And I couldn't agree more. I, I used to think that I was good at listening. I mean, this, honestly, honestly, this podcast has helped a lot, but I mean, I've, I think I've always been able to at least listen effectively to, you know, people that are close to me, but when it comes, you have that thing in your head and I still catch myself doing it like all the time where like somebody's talking and they're saying something that you really agree with, or, or you think of something that you want to say, and then it shifts from you actually listening to them compassionately and empathetically and attentively to, okay, I just, I don't want to forget what I'm saying. So I'm just going to think about that until they're done talking and then say what I, and instead of, instead of repeating what they said or, or, and especially if somebody this is something that I struggle with. I don't know if you can maybe speak to the same, but I have a problem with wanting to fix whatever's wrong. Yeah. And sometimes people just need you to listen. And just like you said, like talking over a person or waiting to say what you want to say instead of really listening to them. It's yeah. Effective listening is incredibly difficult. So. It really is. <clears throat> it's a consistent struggle in my life. And it's something that I try to be intentional about is, um, there's a beauty in letting someone else learn if, if they're going through something that you've already been through. So you just want to help them and tell them you have a good intention, but the few times that I've actually really tried to stop and listen, they'll usually figure it out by the time they're done letting it out. Yeah. They need somebody to listen. And it's pretty, that's another humbling thing. It's like, Oh, I'm not the one that has solutions for everybody. Every Yes. Yes. Learn that on their own as well. Yeah. Well, just listening for the feeling and the need behind what they're saying, you know, and like, 
like, for example, if somebody was saying to me like, oh, I'm sad because my girlfriend broke up with me. I'm like, I'd be like, well, man, you just need to, you know, you just need to like get yourself in the gym. You need to like pick up some hobbies. Like I wouldn't say like, oh, forget her or whatever. But like, um, that's, that's kind of how I've listened in the past. And, yeah. it, and, and, uh, I've, I'm reading about this actually right now about like solution oriented thinking as opposed to process oriented thinking, like jumping to the solution of a problem instead of instead of being invested in the process of, of healing, whatever it is that you're suffering from. And, uh, this, this actually wasn't, um, I want to, I wanted to talk to you about your marriage in a sec, but, and this actually wasn't on the list, but I wanted to talk to you real quick about, so you said you grew up homeschooled in a Christian based home, you know? So how is, has religion for you been, um, like essentially a guidebook for you in how to be a better person and how to, how to maintain that humility? Or was religion something that came to you on a deeper level now that you've experienced, you know, a, a height of your career and like not necessarily ego driven behavior, but the tendency to, and the temptation to do that. So how did you kind of come back to your roots with, with God in your own way after that? For me, it's a little bit of both. Um, what's really sucks is, you know, if someone's loud enough, they can kind of put a layer or a, or a bad taste over a huge stereotype. So clearly I'm aware that there's a lot of hypocrisy and judgment and frustration that comes from people in churches and that they, you know, loud mega pastors or whatever. And Mm -hmm. it just seems weird. But the way that my parents raised me with the Bible, um, there's some certain things that like God would call his, his believers to do. Um, And the main thing that isn't my job is judgment. And the main thing that isn't my job is trying to be hypocritical. It says that the two highest things are to love God and love your neighbors yourself. And then there's a bunch of other things that are historical and weird to understand. And, you know, I don't have every answer to every question, but what I knew my job was as a kid was like, love God, love others as yourself, try to be patient and kind and whatever. And I, you know, screw up all the time. When I was late teens, I think everyone has to have a moment where they ask why they believe what they believe. And is that because you were raised in it or is that because you really believe it? And I did a lot of introspection for a couple of years and uh, I found that I really did believe that that was right for me. And um, I kind of started looking into more and more of like, as I've been, the older you get, the more exposed you are to the world around you. So I was very sheltered as a kid. I mean, I was around church and my neighborhood and that was it. And so when I started to notice people with different beliefs and different perspectives, even if someone disagrees with me or if I disagree with them, I still remembered, oh, not my job to judge them, not my job to tell them that I think I'm right. It's my job to love them. And so as I kind of branched into bigger groups from church to a different group of friends to getting your license and driving around, making new friends to getting on the voice, um, I, I started to see more like ways that I could actually love somebody um, rather than being like, yeah, I love my pastor you know it's like you're always just around the same people that are in yeah. the same you're into but i mean meeting people on the show i mean there's people from all kinds of different cultures and backgrounds and beliefs that were polar opposite of mine and and those people were like some of my closest friends and um sometimes when you do something that's not what you're actually called to do it just doesn't work like mm-hmm. for the people that just feel like their judgment and their hypocrisy and the condemnation is their job it never goes over well because that's no. not what you're supposed to do. But when you accept someone and you love someone and you're just kind to them, even if you disagree and you're going to keep your own opinion, there's still a lot of life that comes out of that and good things happen. And 
I had countless conversations with someone who was just curious, like, oh, why do you believe this? And we just have conversations. But at the end of it, my relationship with him would be stronger. I think there's beauty in disagreement and there's beauty in knowing more perspective. Um, my best friend growing up is, was an atheist and he literally disagreed with everything that I ever said. And I disagreed with him. And you were best friends. We were best friends since yep. we were four. And he was the best man at my wedding. He's still my best friend. And um, it never had to change the way that I love him as my brother because yeah. differently. That's not my job. And that was the way that I was raised and what we believe the Bible said. And so my parents said like, hey, if you meet people that don't agree with you, you don't need to be, you know, trying to change their minds. Like you can ask if you want or you can talk and share. But if someone's not wanting, you know, that's a huge thing that I think a lot of people misunderstand. And that media has talked about certain Christian things is, is that it's judgmental and they don't accept you unless you believe what they believe. But that's not mm -hmm. actually what the Bible tells someone to do. And so I try to stick to what I read in the Bible and what my parents raised me on. And I look around and see a lot of people messing that up, but that's not what I believe. Yeah. That's beautiful, man. Um, what you just said, I think should be blasted on every loudspeaker across the world. We are in the midst of this extremely divisive time. And, you know, I, I've said this, you know, off both on and off this podcast for, for years and stuff, but um, disagreement can be a beautiful thing. And I think that for some reason we have this idea that it's, we can only hang out and associate and, and let people, those people into our life who agree with what we do and believe what we do. And that's always going to be a recipe for disaster because not only is that ignorant and naive, it's judgment. And you're judging people unfairly based on some, maybe a few words that were unfavorable to you on Facebook. And then you get on there and you type your response. Like, I don't agree with that. Well, it's like all that you're doing, doing is contributing and fostering more of the problem out into the, out into the world, which is like literally the polar opposite of the thing that we need. The solution, as you pointed out, as far as I can see, I mean, I'm not necessarily an expert in this area, but you know, I, I, I'm, I can recognize extremely ineffective communication when I see it. Yeah. And that's what social media is. That's all that it is. It's ego. It's like, yeah. it's, it's this public laundry, uh, airing of your dirty laundry. And I think that until people can recognize and see people as their fellow human and not like this person who's on the left or the right or Democrat, Repu I mean, whatever it is, then we're going to continue to see this foster this problem. So that's, that was a really beautiful thing that you said, man. So I appreciate you saying that. And, uh, um, I'm going to read an ad really quick and then we'll get back to it. Okay. Uh, the starving artist is brought to you by liquid IV liquid IV's mission is to help people live everywhere, live better lives to optimize the body, hydrate those in need and better the planet from the electrolyte multiplier to the triple hydration, single use packets. Liquid IV is becoming a staple in the hydration game and is an incredible product for anyone looking to expand their overall health and fitness. Visit liquid-iv.com. Use promo code Casey Ryan Music at checkout for 20% off. Again, that's liquid-iv.com. Promo code Casey Ryan Music at checkout for 20% off your order. Starving Artist is also brought to you by Heavy Water Coffee. With a time-honored passion for the craft, Heavy Water is selecting unique single-origin beans from all around the world and roasting them in micro-batches to maintain the highest level of quality control. High in quality, small in quantity. Head over to heavywatercoffee.com. Use promo code Casey Ryan Music at checkout for 10% off your order. Again, that's heavywatercoffee.com. Promo code Casey Ryan Music at checkout for 10% off your order. All right, so um, the last thing I kind of wanted to get to is uh, is marriage. Um, and uh, congratulations, by the way. Um, uh, I, she, I, what, I can't remember. What's her name? 
Timory. Yes. So I always used to see her when I went to the vault. Like I recognize her. Yeah. Yeah. Because like in Coeur d'Alene, shout out to the vault in Coeur d'Alene. Um, but I'm curious. So uh, you, and I'm not saying anything in opposition to this. So I don't want you to think that yeah, at all. Yeah. But I'm curious. So you com- you did commit at a very young age. I'm sure people told you that and stuff. So I'm just curious. So how has that level of commitment shaped you at your age? And, you know, did you know that that it was something that you always wanted to do? And was there like this, you know, aha moment when you realized that, you know, this person was the one and, you know, have you managed to keep this relationship so successful seemingly as it is because you're married now. So can you maybe shed some light on that? Yeah, absolutely. I think, um, I might have some, also, I don't mean to offend in return or be in opposition, but I've never fully, well, that's not true. I used to believe that there's a soulmate, um, mm-hmm. one person. And, um, I'm sure you've heard of Christianese, but when I was like, uh, I'm like 16 years old, I liked this girl and, uh, my brother-in-law is super blunt and he doesn't care if he hurts your feelings. And I really needed someone like him in my life at the time, but you know, I was in a really bad relationship and it was kind of emotionally draining slash almost emotionally abusive to me and um i was so overwhelmed because i'm like well this has to be the one for me <laughs> and so yeah you know, i'll figure this out and, you know this is six years ago and um i was like you know i'm just praying that god would tell me if you know if it's his will that i marry her one day and my brother-in-law was like what the hell are you talking about and i'm like what and he's like there's no way you're gonna get an answer on if it's god's will that you're with her i'm like how dare you? Cause you know, <laughs> like, of course I would. And he's like, why do you think it's in God's will who you marry? And I'm like, I, I don't know. I, I just feel like he would, you know, that's, those are the challenges that made me go, Oh, I need to look into what I believe not just cause I was ready. Yeah, 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 for sure. And he just goes, you have some Liberty to make a choice, find someone that's good for you. And if you love them, commit to them, choose it or don't, if it doesn't feel right, don't be with them. If you want to keep working on it, even if it's so challenging, if you want to choose to do that, then uh, if you want to choose that, then choose it, you know, be smart, take time, listen to friends who have good opinions, but I don't think you need to ask God to tell you if it's his will, if you marry this one person versus this other person. Now, I definitely do think that there are better people for you than others, but um, when I'm had a compatibility, absolutely. Um, when I met Timory, we were in very opposite places in life. She was living a different life. We definitely didn't see eye to eye on things, but basically we were just attracted to each other. So I'm like, well, I'll get to know her, you know, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm branching out. And uh, as I got to know her, um, I found that she was a really cool person. She's very funny, very lighthearted um, and struggled with a little bit of um, vulnerability. And I'm a very vulnerable, vulnerable person and I'm uh, overly sensitive at times. And so we, well, you're a musician, so you kind of have to be, yeah, I'm the same to kind of fast forward and put it in a little bit of a nutshell. We face challenges all the time, but there was something about that relationship that I wanted to commit to, but I honestly couldn't have told you. I knew I was going to marry her for a couple of years. We dated for a whole year. We, she broke up with me cause she needed space and she was going through kind of a whole change in her life with her identity and her her, her friends all moved to college. She's, you know, just changing. And she's like, I feel like I'm not really giving you a great relationship and I need time to figure myself out. And I'm really glad that she did. But in the moment I was you know, devastated. And through time, we found that 
no matter what happened in our relationship, we still wanted to be with each other. And for one thing, you know, she broke up with me and she changed her mind. I also wanted to still be with her. And then after that, she wanted to adventure and travel. And so she signed a deal with a family to um, nanny their kids and they would house her for free and give her a small allowance uh, to drive around in a foreign country. And I don't know if you've heard of Au Pair. Au Pair, yeah, was, yeah. yeah. Okay. So she went to Southern France and I had no idea she was really serious about it because she kind of had a bunch of ideas all the time. She's a dreamer and she's very enthusiastic and she's a go-getter. And so- I love those kind of people. Yeah, she's like, yeah. I'm going to go to Portland or maybe I'm going to go here. Or maybe I should stay in Hawaii for a month and learn from this farmer because I mean, every other month was a different dream. And I started to realize I just got to be supportive and not yeah. tell her it's crazy. And I didn't think that she would actually do it. And then this next dream was, I'm going to go to France and be a nanny. And I'm like, do it. And then <laughs> I found an account. I'm going to message a family. I'm like, cool. And then yeah. she's like, I'm flying to France next month. And I'm like, are you freaking kidding me? And she left for nine months. And um, I was, I, I freaked out. I was, I was mean. And I told her that she's risking a relationship and she already broke up with me. And I didn't feel like she really valued me. I was, I just like, just blamed everything on her. And we had this huge talk and I just said, we're going to give it a shot. But um, I held it over her head and I was unfair to her. And then we healed through that before she left. And uh, right after she left, I went on to The Voice. I, I flew out a week later for LA. And um, I was meeting all these beautiful girls with taste in music, something in common and great chemistry. And she was in a dream. She's meeting all these different people with different stories and new experiences and going out and hanging out at the bar with her new friends that were also au pairs in the local area. And, you know, we were exposed to other options. We, we didn't, we weren't married. We didn't vow anything to each other. We didn't sign anything. I could have chosen to drop her and be with this cool new girl that, you know, especially when you're on these things like the show or in such a different place like France, or you're changing your life, you're vulnerable and you want someone to know you and for you to know. And so I'm clicking with these people quickly. I'm making like really close friendships with guys and girls and she's making close friendships with guys and girls. And there were moments, I mean, if I'm, and Tim and I have talked about this and I'm open to share about it. There were moments where we both had these kind of realizations that like, we could have broken up and then just like done whatever we wanted with these people and been like, well, I'm, you know, it doesn't feel like we're together. Like we're nine hours apart and 5,000 miles away. Like maybe this is a sign that I shouldn't be with you and I should be with this person that I'm really clicking with. Or maybe this is a sign that it's not working. Maybe I'm going to take off in music and you're going to travel. Is this a sign that blah, blah, blah. And the kind of the words of my brother-in-law would echo of like, there are signs all the time. Like, what, what do you want to commit to? Like, it's a choice. And I realized like, I still wanted to be with Timory over anybody else. And she realized she still wanted to be with me. And at that point we started actually talking about our future together going, okay, nine months of like Hollywood fame and girls and music and exposure and temptations and options. It didn't change my mind. I, I really want to be with you. Like, even like, and if you start thinking, is there someone better for you? Is there someone worse for you? There's always going to be something better or worse for you, depending on your perspective. And there's 7 billion people. There's got to be someone that's suited for you slightly differently. That could also be good. And so I made the decision. And so did she, that I honestly, I didn't want to do anything without her. Like 
the nine months without her and her nine months without me, we desired to be with each other. We missed each other and we loved each other. And so that summer I came home, it came to fall. I bought a ring and I was horrified, but I'm like, I want to commit the rest of my life to her because all these other things that could have been options to leave, like didn't phase me. And if that didn't phase me, like I'm going to make sure that nothing else will, but you can always, there's always going to be a hypothetical of a situation where it could have been different. You could have been with someone else. And that's still true to this day, but that's why I committed to her. I, I, I chose to, and we're super young, but we also dated young. So we, you know, we've been together for over four years now. And it was something that I never looked back on. And I think there's something really admirable, not like about myself, but about um, knowing what you believe and having a firm opinion and committing to something that you're passionate about, to not be half-assed about something, but something as serious as standing in front of a group of people and saying, I bow my life to you, like until we die, I will be loyal to you. That's, that's beautiful, man. That's a, yeah, that, yeah, there was so many things in there that you said that um, I think the, the two main ones that I wanted to just uh, repeat and rephrase back, um, first of all, having, having the um, vulnerability part, I think is probably, in my experiences with relationships and why they've failed, why they succeeded in moments or whatever, the most important thing that I'm, I've realized over the, all of my years is being as vulnerable and truthful as you can with that person is the most important thing, even if the consequence of what you're going to say might lead to you not being with that person. Yeah. And it sounds to me that if, to kind of summarize what you said is that that vulnerability that you both had to share with each other, like where you were at in life, her choice to break up with you, uh, the choice to go to France, your choice to like, you know, not indulge in the temptations, but just have that and allow her the space and time to do the same. So vulnerability, space, and time, I mean, I would sometimes are the most important and crucial elements to somebody, either something succeeding or rekindling if it was broken at a point. Um, so that's amazing, man. I really loved everything you said. And also, um, I, another thing that you said that I really liked is about temptation will always be there, no matter, no matter in what situation you're in. And I think to further that point, like, for example, obviously, I mean, I'm sure your head's not even in this space anymore, but like for anybody that's in a relationship or married, like you have the option at any point to go and see if the grass is greener. But like the point is you're committing to that person because that stuff will always be there if like that's what you want one day. But it's vacant, it's meaningless, like the whether it be sex or or just a, meaning, a meaningless interaction with somebody that didn't benefit you at all. And then in turn, you lose that person that you wanted to commit to. So um it still yeah. exists oh it's absolutely there it's not that it's in, on my mind like i think about doing these things but it's always there yes as a musician and you know yes and especially just as a human being like for, like if i if i'm in love with somebody and i see an attractive girl walk by like in my head i'm like oh she's you know she's attractive but it's not like you're gonna hop on that decision <laughs> and like you know no, no pun intended but you're gonna yeah. hop on that that option because like in my head, I know that like whoever I'm with is going to find other men attractive too. And that's okay. Um, so that's why I think that the most important thing I think that to take out of that is the ability to like not push those thoughts away, but to like embrace them and just understand them for what they are. And they're just thoughts, you know, that's all that it is. You know, the fleeting Mm -hmm. thoughts are okay. You can't help thoughts that pop in your head. I, I was doing a gig last summer and I was a month away from getting married. And there was this girl that 
was hooting and hollering and kind of drunk and brought me a beer been there <laughs> uh, and she like kind of pretended to slip and so she like had her hands on my chest to lean oh god yeah you know honestly the attention and the forwardness was flattering and kind of exciting and there was a little part of me that's like oh that's kind of it feels good that someone like really thinks you're cool or attractive or whatever yeah and <laughs> timory was there watching and uh she doesn't get jealous easy and i'm really lucky for that but she just was like, wow, that's insane. She was very confident. And, you know, yeah. I even said on stage, oh, my fiance and I, blah, blah, blah. This song's about her. And, you know, those moments will still happen. And for even a split second, my thoughts are like, wow, that's that's crazy. Like, that'd be insane. Like, what if she tried to make a move on me? What would I do? Sometimes that just happens. Yeah. It's just a choice, you know? Like, you have to have a little grace for yourself to realize your thoughts are going to be your thoughts sometimes. And, yeah, like, I still notice attractive women. I still- And that's Okay. And, and that's okay. okay. Attractive people is normal. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's, there are attractive people out there. And yeah. Tenmarie goes to the same thing. There are attractive people all the time in her life. And it's normal. It's okay. And even when you're married, it, you're not above it. Like you're no mm -hmm. longer a higher rank of, oh, I'm this mature. Like any fool can get Oh, I, I, yeah. I can't be tempted. Yeah. Yeah. It's like it's, there's still temptations every day. It's just making a choice. And, and we wanted to kind of solidify our choice by, you know, vowing it. And yeah. the difference is that the only yeah. difference is that we've made a vow, made a commitment. And for us, spiritually, a commitment too, like to God, like we've made this oath, but also but outside of that, no one's above it. Like any day I could make a mistake and any day she could make a mistake, but you trust, you be vulnerable, you give space and you commit as best as you can. And every day is an option to choose it or not to choose it. That's perfect, man. I think that's a, that's a, that's a great way to end this. Um, where can people, where can people find you? You know, what do you got coming up? If you do have anything coming up, you know, new music or anything like that, you know, why don't you tell people? Currently, um, I am on YouTube with any voice videos. Uh, I have an EP out as of a year ago called Britney's house. Uh, you can find that on any streaming platform under Jacob Maxwell. And my hope is this year, and uh, you and I should also talk uh, privately as well. I'm kind of pursuing a project this year in music with last year and COVID kind of halting everything. Mm -hmm. I took it as a sign to rest. And so this year I'm really looking forward to collaborating, learning how to produce my own stuff. And I want to start just releasing songs on a regular basis. And so I just ask people to keep their eye out for things that are going to be coming out soon. Heck yeah, yeah, man. That's dope. Um, I got to be honest, man, this was, uh, probably my favorite podcast that I've done. Um, and that's, wow. that's a true statement. And, uh, you know, I've talked to some cool people and not to negate what was said there, but this really hit home with me. And, you know, for being 22, you're not only an extremely talented and fucking handsome, God, dude, it pisses me off kind of, um, uh, but um, you're, you're extremely uh, well-balanced and humble. And I think that the world could use a lot more people like you. So I really, really appreciate you doing this, man. And uh, everybody go download his EP, Britney's House, and uh, go follow Jacob Maxwell. Thanks so much, man. I appreciate you for real. Thank you, dude. This is an honor to be here. I'm grateful to get to know you a little better. Looking cool, forward man. to it. I'll, I'll talk, talk to you soon, brother. All right, that's it, everybody. Bye. With me, I can't hold on. And nothing I've let go of has ever been.